Before we start today's show, I want to invite you to join my community of SaaS founders, agency owners, and others who are sharing tips, tricks, strategies, and tactics for creating successful cold outreach campaigns. It's a free group on Facebook called Cold Outreach Mastery, and you can get there by heading over to morgandwilliams.com slash community. And if Facebook isn't your thing, but you still want valuable cold outreach advice, head on over to morgandwilliams.com slash newsletter and put in your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now, let's start today's show. Welcome to the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. This is the place where you'll find real conversations with real sales leaders about how you can leverage sales technology to get ahead of the pack. Improve your sales numbers by taking advantage of emerging technology before your competitors get there first. They'll share everything from the trends they're seeing in the marketplace to actionable strategies that you can use to make more sales today. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen. And on. Here's your host, Morgan Williams. Welcome to the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. I am your host, Morgan Williams, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Adam Hempenstall, founder and CEO of Better Proposals. Better Proposals is a simple proposal software for creating beautiful, high-impact proposals in minutes. Having helped his customers at Better Proposals win over $120 million in business in only one year, he has launched the first proposal writing university where he shares business proposal best practices. Adam, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Very good. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Can you walk us through your background and how it's led to what you're doing now at Better Proposals? Yeah. So I started out running a design agency when I was 15 or so, <laughs> just sort of graduated into a proper company. So mm -hmm. around my twenties, I uh, did that for sort of 10 years or so, um, maybe sort of eight years and then sort of slowly started to sort of shift into the software side of things. So we would sort of go in and build custom solutions for people to sort of manage difficult workflows and things like that. And yeah, proposals have always been a massive part of that, right? Well, from the very beginning all the way through to sort of our last ever private client, uh, proposals were absolutely massive. So that, you know, we knew it was super important. And what we found was that if we did a good job of the proposal, we usually had a much, much better chance of winning a job. I know this sounds really obvious, um, sure. but <laughs> when we didn't do a very good, <laughs> sort of stupid thing to say really, but it was it, because it was so like obvious and true. We put so much effort into the proposals because we knew that everything else was kind of down to chance, down to luck, a bit of, you know, it's kind of some stuff you can't really control. Whereas the proposal was the one major chunk of the whole thing that you could control. Mm -hmm. Um, so we just put sort of, you know, classic 80-20 principle we put so much effort into the proposals so sometime probably about three years before we wrapped the whole software company up we moved away from doing sort of pdf exported proposals and designing them in in design and all that kind of stuff and i just sort of said to the said to the dev team like look can you just make me something web-based it's super simple i can just craft it and then just get some a bit of tracking, bit of you know, find out what's going on. Are they opening it up, looking at the price and closing it, or are they reading it properly? Like what's going on? So they did like super, super, super basic version. I don't dare look at what they made now, <laughs> but back then it was like revolutionary. And yeah, you know, before long we had loads of people just commenting on it, saying it'd be really cool if they had something similar. And kind of got smart enough to know we're getting lucky. Yeah, we decided to 
start the process of turning that into a proper company. Nice, nice. I mean, what you said, good proposals equal a good outcome. Although that is, you know, makes logical sense and and should be common sense, right? It's oftentimes proposals get overlooked or don't get enough Mm. attention and care in the sales process. So I'm just curious, what makes a good proposal? What are the biggest things that typically lead to a good proposal? I think it's like having all this experience and trying to distill things often down into sentences. You often end up saying like overly simplistic things, but basically it's answering questions. That's essentially what a good proposal is. It's answering questions that they have and it's answering questions that they didn't know to ask or couldn't ask. And if you can do that and start out, then generally you've hit the nail on the head. Bad proposals often don't address major needs and don't answer obvious questions. So they leave lots of gaps. And then when people consume them or read them, what ends up happening is they just get left with this state of confusion because they're like, well, what happens here? And what happens there? And why doesn't that add up to that? And that confused people don't buy things. Confused people don't get their credit cards out and go, yay, sweet, I'll buy that. (laughs) doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So if you leave them confused because you've left massive gaps everywhere, then that's never going to be a good thing. Conversely, if you have a method and a way of finding out exactly what it is that your clients want and what your customers want and then portraying that into a very nicely designed and well-presented proposal, then naturally that is going to help you much, much further. But really the true art, once you've got those basics handled, the true art is being able to answer the questions that they can't ask or don't know that they need to ask. So a simple example of this was when we were running our software company, it was basically myself and um, my business partner, Sabrina, and that was the company. Everything else was outsourced and that was it. And we were dealing with companies that had a lot of data, very important data. It was always locked up in their really, really, really safe and definitely couldn't be burnt down filing cabinet. (laughs) So of course, putting that data in the cloud was really unsafe and scary to them so obviously i'm making a bit of a joke of it now but to them it was scary and it was in the corner of their office and they had a lock on it and no one had the key except them but it was a big move and what was really interesting was we dealt with this really 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 brash financial guy and he was you know he'd just say it how it was and i like that i I love that kind of style of of operating but you know a lot of people would have not liked it and he was like yeah okay so what happens when you two walk out in front of the office in a minute and get smacked by a bus and die what happens to our data then? I'm like, mm-hmm. mm, well, that would probably not be my first concern. Right. <laughs> um, but he did bring up a great point. He brought up an amazing point. What happens to my data if you get hit by a bus or die in a plane crash or whatever? Mm-hmm. And it made us think, okay, well, if he's saying that, everybody else must have thought it at least. Right. So we started changing our presentation to proactively bring that up and explain what our disaster recovery system was and all that kind of stuff, obviously making a joke about our own death and what have you. But that Mm -hmm. then our conversion rate kind of went up quite a bit at that stage because we were addressing a major, major concern that we'd never even considered. So if you have things like that and try to think of little things like that, it can make a massive, massive difference. Gotcha. And from what you're describing, it sounds like this proposal writing process doesn't start on 
a Word document, it doesn't start with your software. It starts during that first interaction with the customer where you're asking hmm. questions and learning about what they really care about. Then you're taking that information and translating that to a proposal and going over answering right those explicit and implicit questions hmm. that they have. Were there any other questions like that that kind of came out of nowhere, but you realized like, aha, I'm so glad they brought that up because other people have that too. The web design one was the common kind of vibe I would get from people was what happens if we do this and it doesn't work? What happens if my lead count goes down and you actually make things worse? What happens if you screw up my search engine rankings? What happens if my you know dog doesn't like the color you choose? You know what I mean, there's all sort of right. silly stuff like that, really. Um, well, some of it was silly, some of it was genuine, but yeah, that's a feel thing. You know, people do bring that up. That's not something that people are scared of bringing up. The what happens if you die thing, that's something that most people with a slight amount of <laughs> social <laughs> acuity mm-hmm. don't generally bring that up in a first meeting after three minutes. But yeah, so that was the software thing. The web stuff was mainly just you know, what happens if you make it worse? What happens if it doesn't work? So a lot of that was around, you know, and for us, that was about the of bringing in guarantees and that's one of the things that we started doing so we would mock everything up first we would take a small deposit um we would mock everything up first and then we would present it to them and then if they didn't like it we'd give them the money back we did that for a good couple of years until we built up enough uh credibility where we didn't really need to do that anymore because your credibility handled the idea of what happens if it doesn't work it's like well right. 450 customers and nearly 500 sites later like we've pretty much handled that now so like that eventually starts to take over so it's a balancing game you know like you have your social proof which if it's a if it's a current customer that you've been working together for 10 years you don't need to put case studies in your proposal for additional stuff additional work and all that kind of stuff but if it's a brand new client they've never heard of you then you've got to do a heavy amount of social proof and case studies and testimonials and that stuff needs to be a bit heavier. So it is a balancing act, but that's something that you just sort of vibe out and experience will teach you that. Right. Now, over time, you start to understand more of what needs to be in there, what doesn't, right? Hmm. So let's say for a new customer, let's take a, a typical salesperson in the technology space. They're creating a proposal for a new customer. Maybe they're at a company where the proposal's right, just the PDF or there's no real structure. What does an ideal proposal flow look like from that first page to last page? Like, what is the high level of that? So obviously it will depend on what you're selling and things of that nature. But generally there's a couple of key points that exist. So the first thing is an executive summary, overview, that kind of thing. That's probably the most important part of the entire proposal because that's your newspaper headline. That's the bit that they will read in full every time. We know this from word count and embedded proposals and lots of data and things like that that we can extract. And obviously you can as well as a user, but you'll generally see that that first page that will get read properly. Um, most of the proposal after that does generally tend to get skimmed over in places. So if you do a good job of this part, the rest of it can be a bit weak. But if you do a bad job of this part, then it doesn't matter how good the rest of it is, you're always going to be an uphill struggle. So the executive summary really just needs to restate exactly what their issues are, what they're trying to achieve, you know, their goals, what it's going to cost them if they don't do it, what they can benefit from if they do, all that kind of stuff. It's all sort of standard um, questions that you would try and glean from them in, a, in any sort of discovery session. And you just want to spit that straight back at them. Their words, not yours. Don't retranslate it or try and make it sound cuter than it is. If they use a certain phrase, 
use it straight back at them. It's that stuff that makes them feel like that you were listening and that you've got the ability to take their sometimes weird ways of explaining things and that kind of stuff and then actually you know remember it and use it so that's just going to give them an element of confidence that you can lessen so that's super 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 important um the next thing is really just kind of the description of what it is that you're going to do now obviously this is going to vary massively from industry to industry product to product that kind of stuff but there's got to be somewhere where you actually describe what it is that's going to happen um case study massive really 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 important the more relevant you can get it to the person who you're sending it to situation, the better. So the two things to look for are matching industries. So if you've got two people in, I don't know, furniture making business and you've got another client or another customer that was also in the furniture making business, then that's an instantly relevant to them. If you don't have that and you can't match it by industry, then match it by goal. So if that person was trying to achieve X and you have another person that also wanted to achieve X and they've been successful, then that's a great case study to use as well. So the more relevant, the better. So a couple of other major things that you want to have in there is, is um, obviously your pricing. That's super important, but I think that's mostly fairly obvious. Keeping that simple is vital. Yeah. Um, don't confuse them at that stage at all. Next steps. Loads of people leave this off. It's a massive, massive, massive mistake. Next steps need to be in there. And it doesn't really matter what they are. They could be sign it now, you know, using digital signatures. It could be print it out and send me a carrier pigeon. whatever it is but but you've got to tell them what to do next you know if they're sitting there reading it thinking wow yeah cool brilliant let's do this like you answer all my questions feel good feel comfortable happy to go ahead now what don't make them think at that stage it's just too costly to not have just a simple page called next steps and just explaining what the next two three steps are Um, one of them can be sign your name below get started book a call whatever it is but just keep that nice and simple very elementary don't make them think simple language less text the better nice and simple and the last thing is a kind of optional thing but if it's a smaller contract or a smaller deal and you're dealing with a business owner or something like that you might want to include your t's and c's at this stage because there's not a lot of points splitting this up um I'd go as far as to say you should always include your terms and conditions unless you know you're dealing with a contract that's of a certain size or a company that's of a certain size and it needs to go through legal. If you include the contract and it needs to go through legal, nothing's getting signed, nothing's getting done. Um, If you don't, you can get it provisionally signed off and then deal with the contract later. And that's that's kind of what you want. So if you know that scenario, then you can obviously split that up. But nine times out of 10, you can just get the T's and C's signed off there and then. Awesome. I love that. A ton of really great points there. Having that executive summary, that overview, restating their issues and goals, what it costs them if they do, what it costs them if they don't. Choose your solution, wrapping that inside of the overview, um, making sure you're on point with that beginning and then flowing into what's going to happen to them next. A relevant case study, matching industries or matching goals, ideally both. Simple pricing, don't make them think. And then next steps on what to do. And then an optional T's and C's based on if you're going to be going through legal. Since our discussion started, you mentioned design a couple of times and you have a design background. I want to know how important is the design and actual, how appealing the proposal is? How important is that? Really good question. So if you'd asked me this question three years ago, I would have said it's vital. Um, You're asking me now, I would say it's less important. But I'll explain why. That I don't think that the design is less important. It's just that it's so easy to have good design now. 
especially with tools that kind of have that sort of stuff built in mm. bit of a shameless plug but you know something <laughs> like better proposals or something similar where the design or a lot of it is actually handled for you so things like here's the thing design is look at any like major electronics brand like apple or samsung their logos are black and white literally mm-hmm. and they look class why because it's simple it's so simple and you know black and white looks great and you've got great design so but when stuff starts looking bad is when things you've got like mismatched fonts you've got your typography and your hierarchy of your of your typography that doesn't make any sense you've got wacky colors that don't go together you've got imagery that's blurry and you know takes up too much space or doesn't take up enough space and things being cramped it's all that stuff that makes things look bad and without sort of being a bit of a like hey look at us but like one of the things that we knew that was super important when we were building better proposals was to make sure that stuff was handled for you so there are no you can't change the font on the fly in better proposals it's done for you you set it up once in settings in your brand settings and that's it you just type and part of the benefit of that is that you cannot make it look bad you can choose between regular text three different heading types or a quote and that's it so you can do if you want to do anything more clever than that then do it you know with an image or do it do it somehow with a, a custom method but there's no need to make things complicated with a proposal it needs to be clear it needs to be easy to read you don't want massive walls of text so really a proposal design is really just keep it simple keep it simple mm-hmm. don't go mad beautiful imagery if you can get hold of it you can do some sort of like custom imagery of people using your product or service or what have you before and after stuff brilliant if not tons of great places you can just get stock imagery where it just breaks the text up a little bit and just makes it look a little bit more engaging it just needs to be slightly relevant it doesn't actually need to be crazy um yeah it's to be honest it's mostly words isn't it you know a proposal is mostly words it's just get the text looking nice don't screw it up that's kind of the you know don't do anything weird with it and that's that's really it so yeah, keeping it simple and just sort of sticking to some basic rules, that's really it. Awesome. And I have one last question about this kind of proposal workflow before we get into better proposals specifically. How the proposal is presented. Do you typically like to you only review proposals with people on the phones? You can control it. Are you sending it? How does your follow-up look like after that at your company? Like, can you give some info on that process? It does depend. I mean, what a lot of people do, so for context, what Better Proposals produces is a unique, secure web link that you send to your client and then they open it and then you can start to receive some tracking and things like that. So they've opened it, what they've tagged, they've forwarded it to, what pages they've read, how long they've looked at it, in what order, all that kind of great stuff. Obviously, with things like a PDF, you don't get any of that info. So that's obviously a massive step up. The presentation of it is a clickable, interactive web experience. So it's super familiar because it's just literally like any other kind of website. But obviously, it's like nicely branded and things of that nature. But the uniqueness of it is the fact that they're not opening a PDF. So it's super familiar. You'll have non-techie people having absolutely no problem with it. But obviously, it still looks interesting and it's different. But yeah, I mean, I, I would steer away from PDFs just because there's no visibility on them. But what some people do, which is really kind of interesting, and depending on how you do things, this could work really, really well. But what a lot of people do is actually just get on a Zoom call or whatever. I mean, no one's meeting face-to-face anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but you get on a Zoom call or whatever, and then you screen share the proposal to them 
but without sending them the link yet. So instead mm-hmm. of sending them a proposal, you set up a Zoom call, um, you go through it or you screen share it so they can't jump ahead and then you can control the narrative of it. And then at some stage, you've obviously got it pre ready to send. You can then send it to them if they you know, are like, yeah, brilliant, sweet. How do we go ahead? You go, cool, brilliant, check your email click on the link, go to the sign page, bash your email in on name or whatever, and then you're good to go. So a lot of people do that, so they can still control the narrative. Obviously, that depends completely on what you're selling, whether it's worth your time yeah. to do that and, and what have you. But I would say the vast majority just use it as almost like a PDF replacement tool. So they just send it. <laughs> they just make it and send it. And that still works really, really, really well. That's a really good way of doing things. If you can do that, I suspect that's going to have a far greater conversion rate than if you just sort of blindly send in the thing through but obviously there's swings and roundabouts to all this stuff sure okay awesome and better proposals can you kind of tell us about who you most help um who gets the most value out of the software and, and mm-hmm. kind of like you know, the core value of the company so a number of years ago we started out mostly just trying to sort of scratch our own itch and the world we understood was the design agencies and software companies. So that's kind of, I would say that probably makes up even today, having sort of branched out into, you know, God knows how many different industries and things like that. And I would still say that sort of makes up a good 50 to 60% of our customers. So, you know, design agencies, nice. marketing companies, SaaS owners, any sort of products and services, that kind of stuff. Um, so it's that digital space, really, that's um, very sort of tech orientated. That sort of makes up the majority of our customers. And you, what's really cool about it is that you just see some really cool creative ways of people um, using the product. And that's always been really, really nice to see when someone does something that makes the cool thing you made even cooler. That's kind of cool. It's nice. That makes up the majority of our customers, I would say. What's something cool that you saw that someone did uh, use your software in a creative way? So it's it's going to sound really, really, really stupid. And it's literally not even that good. But it was really cool <laughs> when I saw it. But we used to do this, uh, I haven't done one for about a year now, but we used to do a video series called Proposal Breakdown. And that was basically people sending in their proposals. Some were customers, some were sending in uh, sort of PDFs that they were sort of currently using. And some were sending in stuff that they'd received and blanking out the the names and stuff and uh we'd review them right so it'd be sort of seven to ten minutes of just going through it and just going oh right <laughs> okay and then just sort of me giving a commentary of it having seen so many and and what have you and, and this one guy actually ran, ran a SaaS business and um, i think they're in the medical space i think really did a really 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 good job of what of our using our um our software but what, one thing that he did which i thought was really cool was he put these little like speech bubble bits at the bottom of each page which is near the back and forward button and it was like a little speech bubble telling them what was going to be on the next page and it was right next to the, the next button sort of to, mm-hmm. to go to the next section i was like oh, that's really cool i don't know why i would have ever thought of it because i didn't haven't used it at that point for, for years for our own use but i don't know just little things like that i just thought was really 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 cool it's sort of adding a lot of personality and it had this little picture in there with a little speech bubble so it was just really sort of you know, you can't be in front of everybody, you know, it's not necessarily right. the most efficient way to sell, right? And it was just a simple way, a very repeatable, simple way of creating personality without going, hey, here's the team page, my name's Jake, you know, and it right. was just a, his little picture and a, and a little quote going on, oh, you know, click to learn about how we're going to do this or how we're going to do that or how we achieve this or what the next steps are, whatever. And he just, you know, he had like a little quote for each page. It's probably 15 total minutes of effort. But that 
it was built into his template. He never has to do that ever again. And that's it. No matter how much he changes on the rest of the proposal, that's always still going to make sense as long as he keeps the same general structure. And brilliant use. Little things like that, I think, are really, really cool. Um, other stuff, people have started to use the platform in different ways. I mean, actually, my little, my little brother came up with this, which is odd because he's not really good at this sort of stuff. <laughs> uh, but he runs, <laughs> he runs a video production company and he started finding that he would finish up the job for somebody and then they'd come back and go, oh, you know that little name tag that came up for Sarah? I didn't realize she doesn't have an H on the end of her name. Can you change it? And I was like, if you're a web designer, that's two seconds. You just upload the, you know, change it, save it, upload it, done. But for a video guy, that's a pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your entire computer's out of action for hours because you could, you've got to re-render it all, you've got to make the change, you've got to re-render it, you've got to re-upload it, check it with them. It's hours. So he created this, um, it was still a proposal as far as our system was concerned, but it didn't have any info on it other than here's the embedded YouTube video and a little, he added his own set of like contract clause that basically said, if you sign this off, we'll submit the video. Any further changes are a minimum of a hundred pounds, okay. $130, whatever it was. Such a simple little thing. But he, what that meant was that he had them check it properly instead of just not bothering to check it. And if they did make a mistake, easy money. Cause it always was just literally a name change or something like that. So just cool little things like that. And he just built that into his entire process. So everybody that he had sent one proposal to win the business and another business, another proposal to finish it. Brilliant thing to do. Web designers, same sort of thing. Do the design, get the design signed off. Then you can go into production. Any further changes, it's chargeable. Scope creep is a massive, massive, massive issue. Sure. Yeah, especially in sort of creative services and things of that nature where you've set something up and then people decide how they want it to work after you've already had that discussion and agreement. So just putting that thing there where they have to double check it and then, you know, they're at least slightly liable um, from a token gesture afterwards is a really, really cool way of using the thing as well. Awesome. I love it. Adam, it's been great chatting with you and getting to hear more about better proposals and the interesting ways people are using your software and definitely just how you put proposals together and, and the best way to do that. And I definitely learned a lot. What's the best way for someone to get in touch with you if they're interested in using your software or just want to chat with you about something you mentioned on today's program? The best thing to do, if any of this has made any sense, you want to have a little look at you know, some of the templates, some of the software, give things a bit of a try. Um, you can go to the website, which is betterproposals.io and you can sign up for a 14 day free trial there. Um, there's tons of books and guides and as you mentioned in the intro the uh, proposal design and proposal writing university the video courses probably worth money but we give them away they're, they're really really good to consume just give you a little bit of that sort of depth there if you want to get any messages through to me specifically and you've got any questions about any of the stuff that we brought up on the show today then uh, yeah you can just use the live chat on the better proposals website and just make sure that you mention the show and that will come through to me and yeah, I'll make sure I get back to you. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Adam. I appreciate having you on and spend some time with you. You have a good one. You too, man. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. If you love what you heard, be sure to head back to morgandwilliams.com and go over to the podcast page for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on the next value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and make sure to take action.